this is the Christian Circle Podcast and you're listening to Pamela Fernandez, where we have conversations about Christian living. Here's the show. Welcome to a new episode and I'm so excited because it is Lent. Ash Wednesday is over, we've had the first Sunday and uh, time is flying really, really quickly. So for this Lent, we had two topics that we wanted to cover. One was how you prepare before Lent and the second was um, confessions. And we've had a really difficult time getting somebody to talk about confessions. So I started looking for a guest in the month of January and then Feb and then, you know, come March and we still didn't find anyone and I was praying for this for a long time. And as you know, we, we usually do, we plan our podcasts in December at a retreat. And so I didn't want to cancel and I spoke to many Catholics, some who didn't respond, some who didn't bother. And so I thought about canceling the podcast. And finally, one of the people that I'd written to was Tom Peterson, who is also the um, author and a very prominent speaker. And he runs the website Coming Home. And um, he decided, well, he couldn't make it to do this podcast. But what he said in the end was, I have a show that I did a talk and you can air the entire talk on your podcast and he didn't charge us anything he was very happy to and lend his talk to us and then um, that's what I'm airing today so hopefully you will enjoy this because confession is a very big part of Lent Um, it can also be a, a point of spiritual direction for you if that's what you're looking for I would encourage people who have not made their confession in a long time to listen to Tom And um, to all those people who are celebrating St. Patrick's Day, happy Patty's Day. And uh, we hope you enjoy this podcast. I figured since it's Lenten time, we'll talk about reconciliation, confession. But as a special treat, I'd like to start with a story in honor of St. Patrick's Day. And it's a story about Murphy from Ireland. You see, Murphy was, well, he was a guy who liked to bet the ponies. He liked to go to the horse track. Well, Murphy was at the horse track this one particular morning in Dublin, and he was losing his shirt. The first race he bet on a horse, lost. Second race bet on a horse, lost. Suddenly, he looked down and he saw a priest down at the end of the field. And that priest was blessing a horse before the third race with the sign of the cross on the forehead. Murphy looked intently and decided to wait this one out, and sure enough, that horse came in first place. Murphy thought, I think my luck has changed. And he watched intently as Father uh, blessed a horse at the beginning of the fourth race with the sign of the cross on his forehead. Murphy ran to the betting window and bet a hundred euro on that horse. Sure enough, came in first place. Murphy says, I'm going to be loaded. I've got a system now. He went to the ATM. He withdrew all of his money and he watched intently as that priest blessed the horse in the next race. That priest just didn't bless the horse on the forehead with the sign of the cross. He blessed that horse up and down, left and right, mane and tail, all four hooves. That priest blessed that horse all over the place. Murphy says, I'm going to be loaded. He bet his entire life savings on that horse. How ashen white Murphy was when he slunk down to the field, seeing his horse come in dead last. He couldn't couldn't figure out what had happened. He saw the priest bless the horses in the prior races with the sign of the cross on the forehead, and those horses won. They came in first place. But this time, he's watching the priest bless that horse, mane and tail, up and down, all four hooves, and the horse came in dead last. 
Murphy says to the priest, Father, Father, what the heck happened? I'm watching you. What changed? The priest looked intently at Murphy and said, that's the problem with you darn Protestants. You don't know the difference between a simple blessing and the last rites. <laughs> I start with that story not only in honor of St. Patrick's Day, but it's a great lead-in to our topic tonight of reconciliation, the sacrament of confession. Why? Because so many people, be it non-Catholics and maybe some of our fallen away Catholic relatives, simply don't understand why we do what we do. And one of the biggest misconceptions in our church is the sacrament of re reconciliation. So we're going to break that open a little bit tonight, not only for our own sanctification and help, but also so that we can then be a source to help and love others. And as we told, spoke about last time, to help love others to heaven, huh? We want to do that. The Lord calls us to do that. Why is it so important to talk about reconciliation and to be Catholics who participate in the sacrament frequently? I think St. Teresa of Avila had it right. She said, Jesus has so many enemies and too few friends, it's important for us, his few friends, to be good friends. Huh? It makes sense. We need to show Christ our love in return for his love. And what did he say to St. Peter? Think about it. Peter wasn't perfect. Peter was a scaredy cat. When the time came for Peter to really stand up for his faith, what happened? He abandoned Christ. He was nowhere to be found. In fact, he not only abandoned him, even though he said he was going to stand up for Jesus, he denied him three times. But what did Jesus do to help Peter make up for that? He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Well, yes, Lord, I really do love you. And by now, Peter's getting a little upset that Jesus is asking him so many times. And Jesus went on again and asked Peter a third time, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, of course I love you. And what did Jesus say in response to him three times? Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. My brothers in Christ, what is God asking of us? What does Jesus ask of us as penitent sinners who want forgiveness, who want to show that reflected love that he gives us first? How do we show our love back to him? By feeding his sheep, tending his lambs, and feeding his sheep. So you see, the new evangelization starts with the healing mercy in the confessional. Not only for us going frequently to get rid of those habitual sins, but for us to invite our other brothers and people we meet, people we pray for every day, Lord, help me lead someone closer to Christ. Those people we meet, we need to reintroduce them or introduce them to the sacrament of reconciliation, God's healing mercy. And who tells us about that? Papa Francisco, Pope Francis, we're a church that is a hospital for sinners, huh? It's a place of healing. It's great joy. We're not depressed about the sacrament of reconciliation. We're overjoyed that Christ is there in the person of Christ, persona Christi of the priest, to give us that healing mercy and forgiveness. Why is it so important? Well, according to a 2002 Barna study, and Barna is the group that does a lot of religious studies. They said that 59% of Americans do not believe there's a devil. Can you believe that? 59%. Well, guess what? They surveyed Catholics, and about the same percentage of Catholics didn't believe there was a devil. So my brothers in Christ, how can you and I fight that spiritual battle on the battlefield if so many of us don't even believe there's a devil? We think he's a figure for evil. 
He has us hoodwinked. His greatest trick is to convince us that he doesn't exist. Then he gets away with all kinds of atrocities. And you know, he constantly baits our hooks with custom-made fishing lures. I know many of you are fishermen, and he loves to just put the right color and the right type on to hook us. At our weakest moments, our weakest points, hits our passions. And what do we say in our hearts when we, we think about doing that sin? Well, I deserve this. I've been pretty good. I'm not as bad as a lot of those guys I see on TV. I deserve it. And that's the exact lie the evil one sows in our hearts. Pope Benedict XVI teaches, and I quote, at the heart of all temptation is the act of pushing God away because we perceive him as secondary. Huh? We put ourselves in the driver's seat. And why is that? Well, let's look at the word sin and let's look at the word pride. What do those two little words have in common? Sin and pride. They have I right in the center. And isn't that true? When we fall, we're focused on ourselves. I, I went uh, to a, a cruise conference years ago where there were African nuns and priests. Man, were they fired up and were they holy. 3,000, 4,000 miles from home and they were all filled with joy. And I asked them, how come you're so happy? We Americans need more of that joy. I need more of that joy driving on the Atlanta freeways with all the traffic. And here's how they answered me. Joy, Jesus, others, you, in that order. You see, they knew their priorities. They weren't self-centered. They focused on God first, their community and neighborhood second, and then themselves and their needs last. I know we have a high Hispanic population here, and I grew up in Phoenix, 36 long years wandering in the desert. I often say, I thank God he didn't make me stay for all 40. I got a 10% discount. I got to move to Atlanta where it's a little cooler. But nonetheless, um, I, I learned by being in Arizona that uh, uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting place. And uh, there were a lot of uh, Hispanics there, and I learned that you too in your culture have familia. I went to an orphanage in Mexico, and they said, bring candy. Often the children don't get candy. And I, I tell you, the very first piece of candy I began to hang out, uh, hand out to the children, the young boy took it. And what is the first thing he did? He broke it in half and gave half to his buddy. Praise God for that culture. Praise God for that sharing. The Hispanic culture gets that. We Americans need to learn from some of those other cultures and bring more of that priority into our lives where Jesus is first, others are second, and our needs are, are uh, third. Our culture has really lost the sense of sin. Kara, who studies Catholic statistics, show that only 2% of Catholics go to church once, uh, once a month. And get this, guys, 75% of us don't go at all. In fact, they went on and surveyed Catholics and they said, can you be a great Catholic even if you don't go to confession once a year? And the majority of people felt they could be. My brothers in Christ, we're missing out on this opportunity for grace. We're missing out on God's font of mercy. We're carrying these burdens and these struggles with us because we haven't trusted that Jesus is there to love us. Not to condemn us, as God said, but to forgive us and love us. He came to save the world, as the movie commercial, the evangel commercial you just saw said. He didn't come to condemn the world, he came to redeem it and save it. 
I remember the story about my first employee, Jeff Van Brunt. Jeff was a good guy. He used to work for Arizona Rights of Life and he came to work for Catholics Come Home and Virtue Media Pro-Life. How thrilled I was, was that I got this young talent to work for us and serve. When I moved to Atlanta, Jeff ended up moving on and taking another service job somewhere else. I lost touch with him over the next five years or so. But then a lady came into my church in Roswell, Georgia, and she said, you're Tom Peterson from Arizona, I know you. So we reconnected and she said, have you heard about Jeff? And I said, I have not, tell me. And she told me something very disturbing, which I'll tell you in a minute. Anyway, after we filmed the Coach Lou Holtz commercial in Phoenix at the Curcio Center, I met with Jeff and I asked him to come in. We broke down this set for the Coach Lou Holtz commercial you just saw, and I said, Jeff, tell me more about what's new and different in your life. And we turned the cameras on to film him and literally had no script. Just two chairs and Jeff and I sat down. What Jeff proceeded to tell me rocked my world. He said, Tom, I'm about 35 years old now. I have a young wife. We've been married about eight years. We have four young children. He says, but I've recently been diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. If you know what that is, it's a death sentence. Most people will die within three to five years. Everyone who's been diagnosed properly will die. It's literally a death sentence. But here's why I share the story with you. What Jeff said next was profound. He said, Tom, he said, I thank God I have Lou Gehrig's disease. How many of us would say that? I didn't know what he meant by that. I said, Jeff, what do you mean? He said, Tom, he said, you know, as most young guys, I was doing a lot of stuff I shouldn't. I started getting into bad habits. I'll let you fill in the rest of the story. You can imagine what some of his challenges and sin categories were. We're men, we can figure it out. And he said, I was starting to drift so far from God, but I didn't realize it. But I thank God I have Lou Gehrig's disease because it opened my heart, it opened my eyes. I get it now. You see, I was burdened. I was so burdened by those sins and that weight on my back. I was slowed down from doing God's mission and I never realized it until I was diagnosed and I started thinking about my salvation. I thank God I have Lou Gehrig said because it saved my soul and I'm back on my mission again. And you know what was really profound about that? How he taught us as a young guy who was just diagnosed a year or two prior on how it weighs us down and distracts us, how sin distracts us from doing God's will, from living his will in our lives and being eternally and truly happy. You see, when we truly say yes to God, our lives don't become boring. They don't become mundane. We don't have to worry about a taskmaster checking a list. We serve a God of love who wants to use the talents and interests he gave us. For me, it was advertising. And when I said yes to God, my life got it to be an exciting adventure. And the same is true for each of you that has taken on a vocation, whether it's being a father, being a deacon, we've got a lot of good holy deacons here tonight, or being a holy priest. Whatever your vocation is in life, no matter what the state, you realize that when it is God's will that you're in that vocation, you really truly feel that freedom and that happiness you've been seeking all along. What ended up being an impromptu interview ended up being an hour-long special on EWTN called Trustful Surrender to God. It is profound. I would ask you men to stop by our table after my presentation tonight 
and pick up a copy. I only have about a dozen. But I ask you to do that, especially if you know someone who is carrying a heavy cross in their life. They will soon see how Jeff has learned about redemptive suffering and how he puts it in the proper perspective. Please consider getting this show. I also met two other people over the years that I'd like to talk about right now. One was in Vietnam, as many of you brothers were, and I appreciate your service. He was a gunman in helicopters. On this particular day, his commanding officer told him, you swing open that door, and in that village that we're going after, you shoot everything you see moving. It's the enemy. So the man followed orders, and he ended up mistakenly shooting innocent women and children because they were present among the enemies. He felt heartbroken. He couldn't believe that he shot innocent women and kids. So as soon as the mission was done, he ran to his chaplain and he said, I need to go to confession. Now the priest, in all honesty, said the truth and he said, son, that's what we term collateral damage in warfare. It's not a sin. You don't need to confess it. You didn't mean to do it. But you see, that man had a burden on his heart and he wanted to get that off his soul. Sadly, the priest did not hear his confession and that man carried that burden for over 30 years. When we did Catholics Come Home in Phoenix for the first time, now 15, 20 years ago, I remember this man talking to me and saying, when you did Catholics Come Home and ran those evangelicals, I finally came to the sacrament of God's mercy. I finally got that burden lifted off my chest. And in fact, he said, it felt like I had a hundred pound weight in a knapsack on my back for all of those years. I thank God I'm relieved of that burden and found his healing mercy. That's what the sacrament's all about, brothers. I remember talking to a lady. She said, Tom, I have to confess to you, I've had five abortions. Five abortions. She said, in all honesty, I was using abortion like birth control. I would get pregnant, I'd run out and get an abortion. I was pregnant again, I'd run out and get an abortion. Five times. Can you imagine? Not only what damage it does to her soul and the poor innocent babies, but what it does physically to a person and mentally and spiritually. She said, I didn't think that God ever wanted me back. I didn't think that the church ever wanted me back. But I realized that God's healing mercy was abundant, that his people were kind and merciful. And now I found that healing mercy and I'm going out to teach other young women not to make the mistake I made. I praise God for her coming clean and airing that grief in her life so that she can help others from making that same mistake. I praise God, and you see, God wants us to share our burdens and our struggles, not to glorify the past sin, not to give the devil any credit. When you heard me speak the first time, I told you I was driving 90 miles an hour on the Phoenix freeway, zigging and out of traffic. Why? I was so ambitious that all I cared about was making more money, having nicer homes in the mountains, nicer cars. But through his grace, he brought me on that retreat that changed my life. Sharing your testimony with other brothers, whatever your challenge was, whether it was an addiction, whether it was some compulsion you had, whether it was that you were a different person not walking with the Lord, and then sharing how the Lord has made a profound difference in your life will truly help a brother to find his path to Christ as well. We need to come clean and show that we're all wounded. We're like those people in the Rudolph cartoon we watched as kids. We're in the land of misfit toys. 
But God loves to choose us misfit toys and give us a second, a third, a fourth, a millionth chance. Do-overs. We serve a God of do-overs who takes us wounded people. David fighting Goliath. Joshua outnumbered in the battle of Jericho. All of these, Moses who stuttered and his brother had to hold his hands up. He loves taking us. Why? When we're weak, he comes in and makes us strong. We know who to give the credit to. It's the Holy Spirit. And by the way, for you charismatics out there, and praise God I have a charismatic background, I think the Holy Spirit is the least utilized person in the Blessed Trinity. Think about it. We often talk about God the Father. We often talk about Jesus the Savior of the world. How often do we talk about the awesomeness of the Holy Spirit? Now think about it. We're all apostles or budding apostles in many ways. But think about the first apostles. They were weak. They were scared. They were hiding in the upper room. What changed? Not a what, a who. Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and empowered them, suddenly they preached with boldness. Suddenly they weren't afraid anymore. By the way, be not afraid is in the Bible 366 times or something similar to be not afraid. Do not fear. Why? God gave us one for every day of the year, including leap year. He wants us not to be afraid. Pope John Paul II's mantra when he was pontif in his pontificate says, be not afraid. That was his slogan. Why? We serve a God who's the father with the cattle on a thousand hills, whose son redeemed us, and whose Holy Spirit came to empower us with that boldness that Paul talks about. To preach whether it's in season or out of season, to go out and rescue the souls from the pit of hell. If you've ever heard that scripture about Peter, you're a rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Man, I used to think as a young person, that means the devil can't get us because we're protected behind the gates of the church. That's not what it says. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. We're on the offense. We're going to plow down the gates of hell and rescue those souls from the pit. That's what the Holy Spirit can do for us if we merely invite him in to take over our lives. But he's a gentleman. He will not go where he's not wanted. So men, we have to pray every day to lead a soul closer to Christ. We have to reach out and invite the Holy Spirit in so that we can preach with the boldness and rescue these souls from the pit of hell. And I'm telling you, they're, they're dying out there by the millions. But they can't go to Christ because they do not know him. If you were in a lake nearby or a river and it was cresting, it was flooding, and you saw a bunch of people struggling, drowning in that river, wouldn't you throw the life preservers that are on the shore to them? And yet we remain silent when someone asks us about happiness, about solving their problems, about some burden or struggle in their life. We need to be bolder. We need to invite the Holy Spirit in and you'll see the world change. In her 2012 article, Lorraine Murray lists these as the top reasons why people don't go to confession. Number one, we haven't been to church in a long time and we may not know what to do. That often happens with people who have been away 10, 20, 30 years. And I praise God that they have the courage and that the Holy Spirit's nudging them and fanning that flame, that these good deacons, that the priests, that the nuns planted in grade school. See, the pilot light hasn't gone out. They either see a Catholics come home evangelical or they meet you in your workplace, in your schools, on the street, on a, on a bus, on an airplane. And then the Holy Spirit fans that flame that you help introduce them to. And it ignites and they come back. 
So they haven't been in a long time. They don't know what to do. Reminds me of another Irishman. He had been away from confession 35 years. He walked into the confessional, and to his surprise, he sees Bailey's. He sees a Guinness tap with beer mugs. He sees Godiva chocolates. He's getting excited. He says, man, has this changed 35 years? Just then, Monsignor walked in and said, hey, get the heck out of there. That's, that's my side of the confessional. <laughs> it didn't happen. I don't want to create scandal. But it seemed to be a joke that fit in well with not only St. Patrick's Day, but with not going to confession in a while. So don't get me in trouble. Reason number two, and hey, I'm in Atlanta, the buckle of the Bible belt. I think you guys are pretty much in the same region where there are a lot of non-Catholics, and praise God for our brothers and sisters in Christ and other faith communities, but so many of us have bought into that notion, it's just between me and God, I don't need to go to a priest. But yet Christ instituted the priesthood. He instituted the sacrament of reconciliation through these priests in persona Christi for a reason. One, we get the grace from the Holy Spirit in the confessional. Two, he created us as human beings, and he knows we need to hear, you are forgiven, you are absolved. The priest puts his hands on us and absolves us in persona Christi. We know we're truly forgiven. You're driving in the car and you say, oh Lord, I looked at that bad thing on the internet again. You don't even know if you're really forgiven. You don't get the sacramental graces. It's a distant second to confessing in the sacrament of reconciliation. Reason number three, we're uncertain about what to confess. Now you all have seen examinations of conscience. I'm gonna give you one that is one of the best I've ever seen, and it's by a guy you've heard of named Bishop Robert Barron. When he was Father Robert Barron, and I'll tell you, this guy is like the Archbishop Fulton Sheen of our time. One of the best voices in the church, easy to understand, taking complex theological concepts and dissecting it for even guys like me to understand. He's awesome. So he had a video out a couple Christmases ago, and it's on YouTube. It's called The Seven Deadly Sins and the Seven Lively Virtues. And he shows us men how we can replace a vice with a virtue and find that freedom again in our lives. But the other thing it did for me, it helped me to realize that I was doing some things that I didn't even realize I was doing. I wasn't depressed about finding out. I felt enlivened. For example, and I always get this wrong, the sin of sloth. Am I saying it right? Sloth. I always get the animal and the sin confused. The sin of sloth. Where perhaps even though I'm a charged up, high energetic business guy, type A, overachiever, if my prayer life is lacking, if I don't devote enough time to God, if I don't take that time to slow down and spend some time in Eucharistic adoration, which is coming up next, if I don't do that to get my batteries recharged, you see, I'm lazy like that sin. I can be highly charged to the public, but if my prayer life is weak, I'm lazy in my prayer life. And I found that eye-opening, the seven deadly sins, the seven lively virtues. Reason number four, we're embarrassed. And we should be if we're doing stuff we shouldn't do. Like the movie ad, we're going to have to give an account for our lives on those things that we haven't confessed. If we've confessed them, they're wiped away. If we haven't, we're going to be watching those things on the movie of our life. Think of that phrase. Think of that evangelical the next time you're deciding whether to do something that's a bonehead move or not, huh? It helps us to be accountable. We should be embarrassed. Reason number five. Perhaps we struggle with the same sins over and over again, and we don't want to say it. 
How many of us out there have gone to confession and said, I feel like a broken record player? Now, for the guys under 30, do you even know what a record player is? <laughs> All of us older guys, we're like, I know what it is. It's kind of like a DVD, but different. <laughs> Nonetheless, we feel like a broken record, huh? Lord, I got angry and upset in Atlanta traffic again. Took me an hour and a half to get home from the men's conference. Should have taken me 40 minutes, but there was a traffic jam again. And I lost my cool when the guy cut me off. Boy, do I, does that sound familiar? I, I mean, over and over again. When will I learn to just offer it up and to not do it? I'll tell you one workaround, and sometimes you have to do a workaround. I take Uber to the airport and home every time. It solved the problem. I don't get upset when there's a traffic jam because I'm not the guy who has that burden on me. I'm not the guy getting twisted. Someone else is doing the driving. And I've often asked these Uber drivers, do you like driving? Eh, it's okay, but now that I'm getting paid, I can do it. You see, they have a different motivation. They're not even getting upset. So if you need to find a workaround, like they say, if you're an alcoholic, you avoid driving down the street with the taverns on it. For me, one of my weaknesses is I'm not great in heavy traffic. I take Uber. It's been a workaround that keeps me out of the confessional for that reason. And finally, reason number six. We may be afraid the priest might ask us to change. Huh? Does that sound familiar? We don't want to say it because we're afraid he's going to tell us not to do that anymore. Now, I'll tell you where this really hits your heart. You talk to a baby priest, and I use that term meaning the newbies, the guys who are right out of the seminary, they just got holy orders, and they've been a priest their first year. And oftentimes I'll ask them, Father, what are the joys of your life? What's cool about your priesthood? And they'll tell you all the cool things. But invariably, almost every time I ask these young baby priests, what are some of the things that really have been a surprise or that hit you in the gut? And they'll invariably always say the same thing over and over again. When I'm prepping a young couple in their 20s for marriage and they're living together, they don't want to stop. It breaks their hearts that, see, the priest is going to ask them to change, but they don't even want to talk about it. They don't want to go there. How often do we do the same things where we're holding on to that one sin? And I'll tell you, holding on to that one sin, this is a good way to look at it. Think of a little tiny bird. That little bird can soar, fly around. We've got these little, I don't know, they're like a lake sparrow near our house. And they're so cool. They're agile and nimble and they fly in formation. They're awesome. But look at that little bird's leg. If you tie a tiny piece of thread, literally sewing thread, to that leg, it will ground that bird. When we hold on to a sin that's our favorite sin or one we just say, oh, that's me, it's like a thread that keeps us grounded from really soaring and living God's perfect will. So, as a result of not going to confession, people often live in bondage, which is a consequence of sin. And it results in a couple of things. One, living a life of duplicity. Now, duplicity is a fancy Catholic word, and I'll break it down in an easy way to understand it. It means being two-faced. Being duplicitous is being two-faced, okay? So, in one sense, you have a public persona, but what the public doesn't know is that at home you do different stuff. Here's a great way to look at it. If you've ever seen a icon, so it's kind of like a Russian or Greek iconographer will create this painting or this image, you often see in churches. And you've looked at an icon of the Last Supper. I think every one of us has seen that one time or not. Next time you look at it, study it closely, and here's what you'll see. Great depiction of duplicity. Eleven of the apostles and Jesus are looking at us 
full face forward. You see both sides of her face. But not Judas. The iconographers always picture him just one side of his face showing. Why? He's hiding the sinister side. He's hiding that side where he's keeping his secrets. He doesn't show his true colors. He's duplicitous. How often do we feel the same way? We're going to a, went to a men's conference. Well, we haven't been to confession in five years, which, by the way, is the average for many Catholics who go to Sunday Mass almost every or every Sunday. How often are we holding on to that sin and we feel torn inside? Man, I don't know how to break that addiction. The sacrament of reconciliation is your first step. Man, if you do nothing else this weekend but to go to that sacrament, you're going to feel like a 100-pound weight is taken off you. But get rid of all the garbage. Get a clean slate and soar through to Easter. You'll feel like a new person. And you will feel that wind beneath your wings like the Holy Spirit guiding you to help reach out to others. And then when you see that fruit coming from leading a life centered on Christ, you'll realize that you need to do more of that. You know, the good book on overcoming habitual sin is written by a priest named Father Thomas Dubay. He used to be an EWTN personality, passed away a few years ago. And I was in Madison, Wisconsin. Tough city, the Freedom From Religion Foundation is there. But I was speaking at a Catholic conference much like this. And the guy handed me a book afterward by Father Thomas Dubay called Deep Conversion, Deep Prayer. And I have to tell you, I said, the last thing I need is another book. I have 15 of them on my nightstand. But I read that book on the flight home from Madison. And I'll tell you, it changed my life. For the first time ever, I can understand why good Catholics say, I'd like to become a saint, living God's perfect will. Now, it doesn't mean a big-ass saint where you're glorified and canonized by the church. It means I want to live God's will. It gave me the uh, desire to shoot for that goal. I will ask you men, too, to pick up a little book list at my table. This is one of the books I recommend. It will help you to focus on the greater good. Reason number two of not going to confession or a result or consequence is becoming addicted to certain sins. Now, I'll tell you a great, um, is it an acronym? A little hint on how to avoid uh, or get your antenna up when you're prone to sin. Remember this, halt. Halt when you're going to sin. And here's a way to remember it. H, halt means when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Halt. We're most vulnerable when we're in one of those four states. Think about it. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. I'm like that crabby little boy. Man, nothing goes well and everything starts spinning out of control. That's when we have to be on guard, the saints tell us. Have those spiritual antenna honed and know the devil's going to try to enter at those very moments. And if we're aware of that, go off in a separate room. Leave that situation. Do something to solve it so that you don't fall into the sins. Reason number three or consequence number three, venial sins lead to mortal sin. We can't justify just even a tiny little sin. We're in the military town here, and you have, I believe, a very big Air Force base. Is that correct? If you've ever watched the Blue Angels or any precision teams fly, you know that if one of those five or six jets gets out of position, even a little bit, all of them can sadly crash into each other. The same is true with venial sins. When we start doing that, our, we were like a top that starts spinning out of control and goes off course. It contaminates everything in our lives. We can't justify it. 
I want to tell the story about a father who was trying to teach his teenage son a lesson about this. The son put on television, and up came the promo for the movie coming up at 8 o'clock. And it had the listing M.A., Mature Audience. And father says, son, what are you going to watch? He said, oh, dad, all the kids at school are watching it. Their parents let them watch it. It's okay. There's only a few bad parts. They won't sink in. I won't even notice they're there. It won't ruin the movie. I can, I can sort it out. He says, son, we don't watch MA, mature audience movies in this house. We're Catholics. In fact, back in my day, it was called R minus or X. We don't watch that stuff. And the son said, dad, come on. All the other parents are letting their kids watch it. Again, it's not going to sink in. It won't affect me. I won't even notice it's there. I can screen it out. Dad says, we'll see about that. So the dad went in the kitchen, and his son says, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to make some brownies. And the son said smugly, as some teenagers often do, great, I'd love to have some brownies during my movie. So the dad just kept his patience and made the brownies and came out. It was about three minutes to eight o'clock, and he had the plate, and he handed the son the plate. But just before the son grabbed the brownie, he said, wait, 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 I need to tell you something, son, in all honesty. I have to admit to you, I baked a little dog poop into the brownie batter. Am I allowed to say poop at a Catholic men's con? I think so, okay. And his son said, that's gross, Dad. I don't want to touch him now. It's, it's horrific. You've spoiled the whole batch. You've ruined him by doing that. Why did you do that? And the dad says, oh, it's okay. You won't notice it. You can pretend it's not there. It's just a, a little bit. It's like insignificant, kind of like your movie. And the son said, Dad, that's gross. You've ruined the whole thing. I don't want any of it. And the dad said, exactly. The same is true with those brownies with your movie. A little bit of that spoils the whole batch. It does sink in. It does go into your system whether you believe it or not. Now, men, you were all given packets. So I want you to dig into those packets now and find a little ink dot. It's a little ink dot with an undescribable image on there. And I want you to pull it out of your packets. And we're going to do a little exercise and I, okay, you've got the house lights on on the side, perfect. I want you to try something when you get that little ink dot, and I'll tell you how to hold it. If you know what this is, do not say it so your other brothers don't hear it. But I want you to grab this little ink dot out of your packets. Do you all have one? Is there anyone who doesn't have one? If you need more time, I'll let you find it. You all have one in there, I know, right? If somebody doesn't have one, we've got a good man over here who's willing to pass them out to you. Is there anyone, raise your hand if you do not have one. Hey, you all have one, great. You don't have one. Okay, we need one at this man in the red shirt in uh, this out, JD, right up here. So I want you to hold it where the flat white part is on the top of the paper, okay? So you're gonna be looking at it this way where the flat white part is on the top. Do you all see that? You can see on the screen, okay? So sir, in the burgundy shirt there, you need to turn yours uh, the other way. Look on the screen. I've got the flat white part on the top. Yours is upside down. Okay, ready? Okay, here's what we're going to do. If you look at this, there's like a white triangle in the middle with four black dots. Do you all see those little tiny black dots? Okay, great. I'm going to have you stare at those black dots in a second for 30 seconds, the length of a television commercial, to prove a point. So many young people say, oh, Mr. Peterson, you can't influence me in the length of a commercial let alone a TV show, I, I just is not going to happen. I want you to try this experiment. So when I tell you go, I want you to stare at those four black dots and do not take your eyes off those black dots. I'll be looking at you, so don't look at me. Look at those four black dots now. Go. Stare at those dots, okay? You're five seconds into it. Keep staring. I'm going to time you. And when we're close to the 30-second milestone, I'll tell you what to do. 
Keep staring at those dots. You're about 10 seconds into the commercial, so to speak. Keep staring. Okay, we're about halfway there, guys. Keep staring at the dots. Do not take your eyes off those four black dots. Okay, when I tell you, and now not yet, but when I tell you, when it's time, I'm going to have you close your eyes and tilt your head toward the bright light on the sides of us or above you if there's a bright light above you, but somewhere. But keep your eyes closed. Okay, close your eyes now and put your closed eyes toward a light up above or on the side. Who or what do you see? Jesus. If I can implant the image of Jesus in your head in a mere 30 seconds, the length of a television commercial, imagine what my buddies in Madison Avenue and in Hollywood are doing to you and your kids. Now, if there's anyone who didn't see Jesus, you really need confession. Father Larry Richards, <laughs> if Father Larry Richards were here, he would tell you you're pagans. You better line up right now. Leave the speech early. No, I have to say in all honesty, it's because the lighting isn't really bright in here and you may not have been positioned in a seat real well, so we'll give you a do-over. But when you're in a position where there's a bright light somewhere, try it again if you didn't see Jesus. And by the way, it wouldn't be bad to go to confession too. But look at how in a matter of 30 seconds an image is put indelibly into your head. So a sure route home to the church and God is back through the confessional. I remember the story of Dr. Gloria Sampson. She was my very first guest on our television show, which airs here 7.30 Central Time on Sunday nights, 5.30 Central Time on Monday nights. Dr. Sampson was born in Chicago, as was I, and she said, I grew up in Chicago thinking you're either a good Christian or you're not a Christian at all. She laughed and she said, by the time I was a teenager, I blew off my church and I didn't go to the Catholic Church anymore. I didn't go at all. And she laughed sarcastically while I was interviewing her on camera. I couldn't believe it. Well, then I said, what happened next in your life? She said, I went to the University of Michigan during the radical days of the hippies in the 1960s, and I fit in quite well there because there were a whole lot of people without faith. I met the man of my dreams who was also calling himself an atheist by this point, and we got married. But in order not to disappoint our parents, we chose to get married in a Unitarian church because the pastor was willing to put on the charade for us, knowing that we were atheists. We just wanted to look like we were getting married in a church for our parents. She said, I then got, went on to get my PhD at University of Michigan, and I went to teach communists in China during the Cold War how to speak English. And I said, Dr. Sampson, you had told me that you were an atheist for 53 years. You're in China. You've got a couple of sons that were born. When they were sick or there was a car accident, did you pray? She said, not even once. Can you imagine somebody not praying if your child is sick or there's an accident? You, you know, we, we know in, from military terms, there's no atheist in a foxhole. Dr. Gloria Sampson, man, she was like, nope, didn't pray. And she goes, and I got along quite well with the communists because they were all atheists too. And she laughed sarcastically. Now I'm thinking, she's on my show. She had to come back. So I asked her the question. So what happened? She says, I'm retired and divorced. I'm living in Vancouver, Canada, the second most secular city on the planet with 53% atheists and agnostics. She said, I'm flipping through the channels and I see a Catholics come home of Angemarshall. And she said, I first thought it can't be. Those crazy Catholics, I think they're actually advertising. 
She saw a second one, a third one, a fourth one that week. And men, that tells us the power of repetition, and it also reminds us of the gift of fortitude from the Holy Spirit. Don't give up inviting those loved ones to Mass. Don't give up praying for them. Don't throw in the towel too early. That jackpot may be just one little bit away from success. Don't give up on the first or second try. Invite, invite, invite again. Always with love and humility. So anyway, she sees the fourth one. Her curiosity gets the best of her. She goes on the internet, looks up Catholics, come home, ends up talking about it with a neighbor. Both of them come back to church through the confessional. So I asked her at the very end of the show, unscripted, I said, Dr. Sampson, what is new and different in your life now that you've come back to church? And her answer, after being 53 years an atheist, not praying during that whole time, was this. Tom, all I want to do now is evangelize. Praise God for this Saul Paul experience, this metanoia in her life, where she turns completely away from her old life and focuses on God the Father. And what does he do? He comes running to her like the story of the prodigal son, showering her with graces in the confessional, and a life is changed forever. My brothers in Christ, God has planted us in unique mission fields to do the exact same thing in our lives, to show people the healing mercy of Christ. The benefits of frequent confession help us to know ourselves and our temperaments better. But I must confess to you, when I come out of the confessional and a priest has just said during absolution, go and sin no more, I often say with that little voice in my head, how am I supposed to do that? <laughs> and I'll tell you, here's one way to think about it. There's a book called The Temperaments God Gave You. Have any of you read that book? A number of you have. Okay, good. It's great for marriage classes and things like that because you realize, and your spouse will too, that you're both not thinking the other one's nuts. They're just wired differently than you, right? Everyone's given a different temperament by God. And at birth, we're, we're wired differently. And we're all part of the body of Christ, just a different part of the body, a different mission. But here's why it makes sense. We start thinking of the words of St. Augustine who says, know thyself and thy faults and thus live. I'll repeat it. Know thyself and thy faults and thus live. So if you know your weakness is driving in Atlanta heavy traffic, avoid driving in Atlanta heavy traffic. Huh? Know thyself and thy faults and thus live. Here's another way to look at it. If you're gifted with speech, we need to be on guard for using that tongue to cut and criticize and condemn others. You see, it's the double-edged sword. The very gifts God gives us are the things that the devil comes to usurp, to use for his benefit. So look for some of the talents and gifts you have. If you're particularly handsome or well-built, you might have the devil come along and make you feel prideful or vain. If you're a great athlete, you might feel pompous. If you're a great a linguist, you might criticize others. Be careful of the very gifts God gave you because the evil one's going to want to hijack those. It's a double-edged sword. Knowing ourselves and our temperaments will help us to know how to go and sin no more and to avoid those pitfalls like a dark room. Have you ever been in a dark room and your wife's perhaps sleeping and you come in and you got a couple of dog toys on the floor and maybe there's some slippers there and the room is dark? If you walk through that, you'd probably trip, you'd wake her up, you'd fall on the floor. But what do you do? Well, as a smart guy, you take out your cell phone and you hit that little flashlight on here and you turn it on and that little tiny light guides you 
through that path on the floor and you get to bed easily. I gotta remember to turn the light off, I always forget. <laughs> My pocket glows. But it's true with us too. In our spiritual walk, a good Catholic book, Holy Scripture, Adoration, the Rosary, a Novena, there's all kinds of great things that will help us to guide ourselves through that path so that we can make it to the end goal of heaven. My brothers in Christ, in conclusion, let's commit to doing our part in the new evangelization. Let's promote the frequent practice of confession to our brothers, sisters, and those around us. And show example by being authentic Catholics and going ourselves most frequently. Most of the saints, the Holy Fathers, they all go about uh, every two weeks as a minimum. I started going at least once a month or more often when I needed to, and it's made a profound difference in my life. If you haven't gone in a while, please, please go tonight. And will it be tomorrow as well? Tomorrow, tonight or tomorrow? Boy, I, you know, get a good night's rest. Go tonight if you can. And get in the practice of frequent confession. Now here are three ways to start in the new evangelization. Number one, pick up a goodconfession.com card at my table afterward. It's a simple website we've relaunched on, uh, on Ash Wednesday. And it's also a mobile app that will help you and others to walk more closely with Christ with the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Number two, remember to pray for people, remember to invite them to Mass, and remember to say, I'm blessed when people ask how you are. And number three, stop by our table afterward. I'm literally leaving shortly after my speech. I have to get up about four in the morning to catch a flight tomorrow morning and pick up one of the things we have for you. And I have three or four things that I'd like to share with you now. One is a car magnet. For a mere $5 donation, which will help us run more of these evangelicals here in San Antonio and nationally, you can evangelize in heavy traffic in San Antonio with Catholics Come Home car magnet on the back of your car and the Eucharist. You can't believe how many people see that and feel like God is personally inviting them home. A simple $5 car magnet. Or if you're not a reader, you can pick up one of the videos. Catholics Come Home television series for a donation of $20, 13 episodes, half hour each with teachings, filmed on location, Vancouver, British Columbia with Dr. Sampson, Michael Mark in Chinatown, Philadelphia, drug dealer turned Mother Teresa, incredible stories filmed on location, four of them in Texas, Longhorn steers in the background up in the Dallas area, cool stories about a young man at uh, UT Austin who now wants to become a priest incredible testimonies, incredible teachings filmed on location, pick up a copy of that. And men, if you would consider getting that uh, way to carry the cross for those people in your lives you know who are carrying a heavy burden, and pick up the Jeff Van Brunt testimony, Trustful Surrender to God. Now if you can only get one thing and you're limited, and we, do, we will help with cash, check, or credit card, pick up the Catholics Come Home book. And here's why I promote this first and foremost. It's not written for your fallen away relative. It's written for you. God's extraordinary plan for your life. It's a storybook. You'll hear what training a sewer rat at Arizona State University during college psychology class, what the heck does that have to do with the Catholic faith? You'll learn it in the book. You'll learn why a car came crashing through our home in Flagstaff, Arizona, our second home for the summer, and how a whole neighborhood got evangelized. And you'll learn about a man I talked to through uh, coordination of a mutual friend who said, I've been away from church for 20 years. 
I helped him by saying, here's how you can come back. He said, I'm going to do it. He dropped dead of a massive heart attack two days later. Find out what happened when I was asked by the family to do the graveside internment and eulogy to a bunch of biker dudes. <laughs> this book is a storybook. It will help empower you to feel more comfortable in sharing your faith at work, on an airplane, wherever God has planted you. And it's endorsed by cool people like Cardinal Dolan, uh, Pastor Rick Warren, Roma Downey from Touched by an Angel in the Bible miniseries, and many others. Dr. Scott Hahn wrote the foreword. It's a four-hour read, cover to cover. I'll give you a money-back guarantee if you don't like the book, but pick one up. If you want me to sign it, I will. If you're a cheap guy like me, have me sign it, but don't put your name in it. Read it, and then re-gift it. You get a two-for-one deal out of it. Or donate it to your adoration chapel. Men, I'm going to end with this because my time is now up. I heard a priest named Father Mark Beard talk to us years ago, and he talked about purgatory, heaven's waiting room. When was the last time you heard a sermon on purgatory? I mean, awesome. We need to talk about that again. It's in Scripture. By the way, that was in one of the seven books that Martin Luther threw in the trash because it didn't fit his agenda. Of course he threw it in the trash. But how can he throw God's Word in the trash? You never do that. But it talks about purgatory. The proof text is in there. Nonetheless, he talked about purgatory. And here's how he ended his speech. I'm going to do the same thing tonight with you. He said, how many of us Catholics aim for purgatory? But what happens if we miss? <gasps> Didn't think about that, did we, huh? We get hell. <laughs> so he said, and I'll say the same thing. Men, let's change our focus and our priority. Let's aim for heaven. Because at least if we fall short and miss, we get purgatory. God bless you. I love you. Thank you so much.